0: Listener production.
1: Hello, Tom Tilley and Jan Fram with you for today's briefing. And in this one, we're looking into why Gen Z is going off the pill.
0: Yes, so going on the pill has become the norm for a lot of people in their teens and in their early twenties. But figures show that from the early 2000s to now, the number of prescriptions has actually dropped. With Gen Z
2: leading the charge and choosing to go off the pill. Even this week in clinic, I saw a young woman who'd uh, decided to come off the pill exactly for that reason, that she'd been basically freaked out by some information that she'd received off TikTok. And that really concerns me because you have to ask, who are these influencers? What are their qualifications and is the information that they're giving actually accurate?
1: Yeah, some really interesting questions raised there about the sort of information people get um, about the pill and where they're getting it from and if it's the right information. um, In our interview, we'll bust some myths about going off the pill. First, here are today's big headlines. It is Thursday the 5th of October.
0: So, Tom, we know that voting has already begun in the referendum. Well, now we know that 900,000 people have already voted. Um, this is in the first three days of pre-polling. So, our uh, early polling centres are opened right across the country this week. And, of course, they're for anyone who's unable to cast their yes or no ballot on October 14. And overseas as well, there have been large queues that are forming outside Australia House in London, Uh, which is, of course, for Aussie tourists who are in the UK at the moment, as well as Australians living in the city. So it sounds like people are um, getting into it.
1: Yeah, with 900,000 already in the first three days, it shows that a lot of people are going to vote well and truly before October 14. So, you know, all the messaging that's flying around um, will be too late for a lot of people. Um, One video that was um, getting shared a lot on my socials last night was the video of Briggs, Called far enough. Um, have a listen to some of this. Have you googled it? The voice, the proposal, the referendum. Have, have you googled it?
0: You know what? I have not had heaps of time. Mm, that's I just,
2: yeah, just busy.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's getting a bit of traction. It's already had over two million views on Instagram and um, over sixty thousand likes. I think that'll keep spreading throughout the day. Uh, I thought it was really, it was pretty funny and awkward. The video. It's Briggs sitting there at a, a table in a pub. Um, with two white girls who sound really naive and are sort of working through a lot of those questions that have been raised by the No campaign about doubting it. And then it just shows how simple it is to work out what it is. If you simply Google it and they go to the first link in the Google search and it gives a really clear explanation, they're like, oh, well, yeah, we'd vote for that.
0: Yeah. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, I would recommend that you seek it out because I really liked its simplicity. Um, it had this sort of very simple message of Google it, <laughs> which I know sort of sounds a little bit ridiculous, but I- I've even experienced this with my own friends and family, um, where I'll say to them, "Have you have you looked into this at all? Have you sought out any of the people who are talking about this? Have you done a quick Google search?" And they'll say, "Oh." Not really. Um, so I'm not surprised the video is getting traction. I saw Taika Waititi uh, Instagram about it and also Jason Momoa. So some some very big names who are not themselves Australians getting behind it.
1: Yeah, I thought it was good in outlining the simplicity of it. I think the only thing that might reduce its impact is the the two women just look so silly and they're, they're made to look a bit stupid and naive really. And I think for someone who's a, maybe a soft no, they might see themselves in that camp and feel a little bit demeaned by the video. So that's my only concern about it. And over to America, where they do not have a Speaker in the House of Representatives. Um, Yeah, so no one at the wheel of government there. So it was a really dramatic um, development yesterday, where the Republican Speaker Kevin McCarthy was ousted from the job. It's the first time it's happened in US history. So Democrats sided with a breakaway right-wing Republican group to oust him from the position. Uh, it was led by a Florida congressman called Matt Gates, and he spurred the uprising because McCarthy sided with Democrats to pass a spending deal to avert a government shutdown.
0: Yeah, so that's also in the wings, a potential government shutdown, mm. um, if they're not contending with enough there in the US. But this is something that's been simmering all year between the Speaker and the right-wing faction of his party. Now, what happened when he was ousted was this very unusual alliance between right-wing Republicans and Democrats. That doesn't usually happen, but eight Republicans... I mean, the Democrats were... It's unsurprising that they voted to oust him. They don't like Kevin McCarthy, but what was surprising was that eight Republicans also supported that motion. So it got through 216 to 210 votes, which is not a huge margin, but a significant one. Uh, it's not clear who's going to stand in and take the job. As you said, it just means that there's no one at the wheel. But one um, awkward moment from all of this was the fact that he was forced to announce his own sacking because he's the Speaker of the House who so he announces when, <laughs> you know, uh, motions are passed and he basically had to say to the House, The office of the Speaker of the House of the United States of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. Everyone's like, okay, I guess you should leave now. It was a very
1: awkward moment. Just good old classic unprecedented chaos from the US Congress.
0: And back home, there has been a big development in the death cap mushroom story. So the 68-year-old man who survived the alleged mushroom poisoning has been seen out in public for the first time since the Mushrooms killed his wife and the other couple eight weeks ago. Uh, After fighting for his life yesterday, Ian Wilkinson attended the memorial service for his wife, Heather, in the Victorian town of Currumburra.
1: Yeah, what a tragic scene. So Erin Patterson, the woman who served the deadly meal, was not at the service, which is not surprising, but her ex-husband, Simon Patterson, was there. He, of course, lost both his parents In the tragedy, Um, there still hasn't been any charges laid against Aaron Patterson, and police say it still could take months as they continue to work through the evidence.
0: Yeah, well, Ian Wilkinson is going to be um, a very important asset for police because, of course, he is the only one who is able or may be able to provide details of exactly what happened at that lunch and who ate what and who was served what and who was served what by who. uh, Because the only other person who has been able to give them that information has been Erin Patterson. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens from here.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, we're out of here. Katrina Blouse is up next with this really interesting briefing on the pill.
3: For years, prescriptions for birth control were pretty steady, but the figures show that from the early 2000s to now, the number of prescriptions has dropped for the pill. Now this is mostly Gen Z women who are telling their doctors they're either worried about the impact on their long term fertility or they feel like it's messing with their mood or their weight. So today we are going to bust some of the myths around what you can expect if you're thinking of going off the pill yourself and what info you should be listening to from influencers who, let's face it, have some pretty strong and interesting opinions. On TikTok, Dr. Phoebe Holderson Kamura is a GP with postgrad qualifications in public health and women's health. She works with women every day, and she's written a lot of really helpful articles online about exactly this topic. Phoebe, thank you for joining us on the briefing. I feel like this is one area that there is so so much information online about. It is really hard to wade through the facts, um, but. tell us first of all is there a peak age when most women go on the pill and then conversely is there another peak age when most women come off it
2: i think the australian wide data shows that the peak age that women are taking the pill is in their early to mid-20s and then that drops off in the early 30s and i think there's a whole range of reasons for that in terms of when the pill itself is initiated I'm not sure that we have the data for that, but I would say as a GP, probably when a lot of women are being initiated on it for the first time would be um, 16 or 17, sometimes earlier, just depending on what's happening with their periods.
3: Now, I've read an article that you wrote and you said um, in this that in Australia, half of the women who start on the pill won't be taking it six months later. Now, this surprised me. Um, Why is that?
2: Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? It's based on PBS data, so prescribing data, and we don't know exactly why women are stopping the pill after half a year on average, but I think it just goes to show that perhaps they are getting side effects that they're not happy with, or perhaps they weren't really given a lot of counselling at the time that they were starting the pill, or they might have found another contraceptive option that they prefer But what we know about women using the pill is that it's highly individualised.
3: How long does it take, you know, if you've made that decision and you think, okay, I'm going to go off the pill, um, how long does it take for all of those synthetic hormones to get out of your system?
2: So regardless of how long you've been taking the pill, the synthetic hormones are cleared from the body within days uh, and then your body returns to releasing different amounts of natural estrogen and progesterone throughout the cycle. So that's um, what's considered that normal cycle for your body.
3: That's so surprising to me because I know friends of mine who've gone off the pill to fall pregnant, they're like, okay, I'm going to go off the pill six months earlier than I'm thinking I want to fall pregnant because it takes a while for your fertility to get back to normal. So is that a myth?
2: For most women, periods come back within a month of stopping the pill, Uh, but almost all women are getting their period within three months Uh, In terms of returning to fertility, uh, women can expect their fertility to return to their baseline natural level around three cycles after coming off the pill. But we need to remember that um, there are people who fall pregnant as soon as they come off the pill.
3: What can we expect to happen with our moods (laughs) once we come off the pill? Is it going to be a wild ride? Yeah, it's a really interesting
2: question. There's growing evidence now around the impact that hormones in the pill can have on mental health. It depends a lot on the individual woman and um, her history of depression or anxiety or what we now call PMDD, that's premenstrual dysphoric disorder, before they went on the pill. Now, the tricky thing, of course, is that if women have been started on the pill when they were teenagers, it might be hard to remember Uh, what that was like. And also, your body might have changed between now and then. Uh, So those are the complicating factors. Uh, But we do know that fluctuations in mood or anxiety seems to be one of the most common reasons for women choosing to stop the pill. And I think for a long time, we haven't really taken women seriously about this, and we haven't listened to women well enough. Uh, And so I think it's, you know, if people are saying that they feel like, since they've been on the pill, that it's really impacted their mental health, then I think that's probably true and that's the case. And then hopefully uh, coming off the pill, um, we might see a bit more of an even keel in terms of mental health. However, I know that, you know, this premenstrual dysphoric disorder that I just referred to, that's what happens in women who experience depressive symptoms just in that week leading up to the period. Um, We know that for those women, actually taking the pill really stabilises the mood and even sort of acts as an antidepressant. Mm. Uh, And so for those women coming off the pill, they might really see that those fluctuations become much worse um, and that they see a worsening of their mental health.
3: What about things like uh, your skin? You know, sometimes people go on the pill to clear up acne or, or even your weight. I know for me, I put weight on when I'm on the pill. Um, what can we expect with things like that? I know it probably varies from person to person.
2: So that, again, is an interesting one. Most women find that their skin improves being on the pill. Uh, And there are certain pill formulations that are meant to be better for acne than others. And so often coming off the pill, you might see that that hormonally driven acne that generally around the jawline uh, might flare up again after coming off the pill. Uh, In terms of your question around weight, we know that a minority of women, probably up to 5% of women, um, do find that they get more bloating and some weight gain on the pill. And, you know, this is one of the reasons that women say that they'd like to come off it, I guess. Uh, But it really is just a matter of trial and error. And there are some new pills that are coming out in the last two years uh, that are supposed to have a much better side effect profile because the estrogen uh, preparation is closer to the natural estrogen in our body. So there are a lot of new developments uh, happening in this area, I think, in response to what women are saying.
3: All right, let's get into social media. Um, TikTok in particular has influenced the way a lot of young women are thinking about the pill or whether they're on it or off it, and they're getting a lot of their medical advice that way. H- how has that shaped this area?
2: Yeah, look, it's pretty incredible. I know that in my Instagram account, I had targeted advertising recently towards me about natural methods as a alternative to contraception. And I know that that is happening particularly on TikTok as well. Even this week in clinic, uh, I saw uh, a young woman who'd uh, decided to come off the pill exactly for that reason, that she'd been basically freaked out by some information that she'd received off TikTok. And that really concerns me because you have to ask, who are these influencers? What are their qualifications? And is the information that they're giving actually accurate? And I find often those risks of being on a particular medication are really inflated. Potentially they're also trying to sell a particular alternative uh, that may not be evidence-based either. And the trickiest thing of course about um, non-targeted health information is that it's not actually individualised to that person. Uh, And so what we'll often find is that when you say, oh, well, what were your issues with being on the pill or what were your concerns? They'll say, actually, I was really happy on it. It was working well for me. It provided contraception. My skin cleared up a bit. I didn't really have any side effects, but I was just really worried about what I saw on TikTok. And that, that does concern me because obviously, if you were taking the pill for the purpose of contraception, then it's important to have an alternative contraceptive option if you're coming off the pill and often that doesn't happen. So I think there's a lot of risks involved in taking the advice of TikTok influencers, but it is a new world that we've got to deal with.
3: What I've seen on TikTok and social media are, are a lot of influencers talking about, look, the pill, it's a synthetic hormone and because it's synthetic, it's just not good for you. How, how do you respond to that?
2: So I think that there's a misconception in the community that synthetic means toxic. Um, The pill isn't considered toxic and we put lots of things in our body that aren't necessarily uh, completely natural, but they are safe. And so the pill contains hormones, typically a combination of estrogen and progesterone or just progesterone, which work to prevent pregnancy. And these synthetic versions of the reproductive hormones in circulation in a woman's body They're very, very similar. And what I'd like to say is that the pill has been around since the 1960s and has a lot of safety data. Of course, like any medication, it does come with a list of potential risks and side effects, uh, and it's important to take an individual approach to all of this. But for the majority of women, uh, the pill can be safely taken and is very effective uh, for contraception.
3: All right. Say I'm thinking about coming off the pill. I've been on it for about 10 years. Are there a couple of things I can do that can get me ready and um, make this process a bit easier?
2: I think the first thing to do is to think about why you're wanting to go off the pill, and think about if there's something that you're not happy with, with your particular type of pill, uh, perhaps it's a good opportunity to have a chat with your GP or with family planning around alternative uh, contraceptive options, particularly if you've had heavy periods, painful periods, or other gynecological issues in the past, because often the pill has been managing those periods or even symptoms of endometriosis very well. And when you come off the pill, you might find that all those symptoms uh, are really exacerbated. I think it's important to have a plan for alternative contraception if you are wanting to avoid contraception. And if you have a regular partner, you might wanna have a conversation with them and discuss those other options. I think it's also hard to remember uh, from day to day and week to week what's happening with periods. So I would really consider monitoring and writing down your cycle and symptoms, including heaviness and painfulness of periods, mood and anxiety for two to three months before coming off the pill and then after coming off the pill. And that can really help you and your GP recognise if coming off the pill has uncovered some unexpected issues. And if you do find that you're having heavy or painful periods soon after coming off the pill, then seek medical advice early. Try and choose a time in your life when it's not too stressful or chaotic, if that's possible at all, because that's gonna help you work out whether the symptoms that you're concerned about, perhaps when you decided to come off the pill, are related to hormones or something else that's going on in your life. Of course, if you're coming off the pill to prepare for conception, this is a really good opportunity to book in for a prenatal checkup. Uh, So this can include talking about preparing yourself physically and mentally, Uh, for pregnancy, uh, supplements, and doing some blood tests to
3: test for um, immunity against some viruses. That was Dr. Phoebe Holdenson-Kimura and something we didn't really touch on is what many are calling the alarming rise of conservative influences, weaponizing the anti-birth control message and spreading misinformation. And this is coinciding in the US with legal and legislative efforts that are targeting birth control access and women's rights. They're taking studies that back up what they're saying. There's a 2018 one in particular that's quoted quite a lot that links the pill with suicide. And by the way, that one has since been debunked. And then they draw extravagant conclusions. So I guess if you hear someone talking a lot about, you know, synthetic hormones not being great for you, um, maybe just have a chat with your doctor if it's bothering you because. There might be an agenda behind that influencer's seemingly great and passionate advice. Listener.